History, lecture number six, Rabbi Blyweis. We are doing a quick survey of the Avos HaKadoshim. We're finishing up talking about Avram Avinu. I say a quick survey because we could spend the entire year here. Uh, this is part of the way I put together these, this year. Uh, was very much with, with the assumption, maybe it's not a correct assumption, and you'll ask me on that, um, that this is a more familiar part of history, and I'd kind of like to fill in all the blanks that you don't know about history. So I'll be dwelling more on a lot of the choice, juicy parts of history that are maybe less familiar to us, and this, where Baruch Hashem, you have, you know, we have Parsha to go through, we have so many other opportunities to learn about the Abbas Kedoshim, I tend to give you the highlights, some of the key points, but it's certainly not comprehensive. Is there a lacuna in Torah? Lacuna means something that's never been considered previously. And is there something like the international dateline that I made reference to as those of you who joined me on my first tour uh, that we took around, we were talking about the mirror, and I mentioned this topic because suddenly the Jews, it wasn't the first time the Shadah had emerged, it came up in World War I, but it became, it became very famous when the Jews, before the, the Mir Yeshiva, before they got to Shanghai, they got to Kobe, Japan, and Yom Kippur was approaching. And they thought, oh no, is today Shabbos or is tomorrow Shabbos? And there were two possibilities because it depends where you consider the break in the world where, where today becomes tomorrow, or alternately, today was yesterday depending when you cross the international line. And lo and behold, you have two fascinating um, positions worked out by at least two, but the two major ones, one by the Chazun Ish and the other by the Rav Tokachinsky, the author of the Gesher Chaim and the Luach Eretz Yisrael, who um, each developed from Shas a precedent explaining how um, there is an international date line. And it all goes back there. It's not explicit, but it's pretty logical. Their, 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 their respective um, positions. So, um, Ilan, you asked the question, is there something that the Torah has never considered? Um, that's debated in the post scheme. There are those, who, the Chazunish, for example, has the very strong and very convincing opinion, no. Torah has considered everything. We just may not have <coughs> caught up with Torah yet to really understand that. Yeah. Avram Avinu, I mean, it's, it's an, it's, it, in theory, your, your question was off topic, but it really wasn't. Avram Avinu, we said yesterday, somehow was able to contemplate the stars in the heavens and the um, the leaves on the trees and trace their origins back to a grand design and therefore a grand designer. He figured out he figured out the world, he figured out Kaj Barfu, he figured out Gans Shas. He was holding on a high level, such a high level it's hard for us to contemplate, really understand where he was holding. Um, Avram Avinu, though, we don't really see explicitly his struggles, how he pro progressed from one stage to the next. We have Midrashim that sort of fill in, but he does emerge to us as this immense tzaddik pretty early on when we encounter him at the end of Noyach and the beginning of Lech Lecha. What Chazal tell us famously, though, is it was not smooth sailing. It was challenging. He, had, he endured what Chazal count as 10 famous nisyonos. It's actually debated. Anybody interested in learning a little bit more in depth about what the nature of nisyon is, yeah, I refer you to my shirim on Sefer Eov where there's a machlokis in the posting, what actually is a nisayon, what really constitute what you call a test. Um, there are different ways of testing. Is it testing to show, people test readies at the beginning of the year, is this guy any good, does he know anything? They, throw, they lob a difficult question to say, you know, he not really know what he's talking about. Right, so we're constantly testing things. Part of the purpose of a test, it's a, it's a gross chesed, which means a big fat chesed that the Kaddish Baruch gives us. When we have tests, because a Kaddish Baruch Hu is really giving us an opportunity to become ourselves, to work out who we are and to demonstrate ourselves without the challenge 
we would never self-actuate. We would never become and fulfill our potential. Without these ten tests, he wouldn't be Avram Avinu. He wouldn't be the same person. He wouldn't be the same incredible human being. You have to realize this notion runs counter to most of our upbringing, certainly my upbringing. I don't want to presume about you. But I was raised in a society where it's about avoiding tests. The goal in life is to be happy. Whatever that means. What an elusive goal. And happiness usually was translated as no tests, no challenges. Have a nice day. Oh, that's terrible. You're sick? That's evil. You can't be sick. You can't have problems. The problems in the family, that's terrible. People can't function with the problems. We recognize life is complicated. There is nobody without their, in Yiddish we call it a pekala, without their issues. And a Kaddish Baruch who gives us those things, often as a gift, as a way of challenging us and helping us rise above them. A lot of us don't. In the Western world, in the Western world often people are groomed not to rise to the test because they say they come, they come with an attitude of, entitle, of entitlement and they say, well, this shouldn't be happening to me. I deserve a better portion in life. I don't know where they get that idea, but that's, you know, that kind of like grudge on their, the chip on their shoulder that they carry through life. Of, How come I didn't get my fair share? How come I wasn't raised in a nuclear Brady Bunch family and it all didn't work out for me and I have the two cars in the garage and the little cute rover and the all. Never, it never works out that way. That's, the, that's a lie that the sitcoms feed you and we tend to buy wholesale. But, uh, but it's not like supposed to be like that, and we're all supposed to be challenged. And when we get challenged, we either rise to it or we don't. And we're supposed to, and Avram is definitely a model for that. There's a machlokus about what the actual tests wa- um, were. Uh, everybody counts the Akedis Yitzchak, um, but, but what exactly they were. But um, uh, often people say that there were after even. It's not necessarily the tenth, depending on the enumeration. The Imahos were, were uh, immensely gifted women. Um, their greatness was often behind the scenes. Where is your uh, wife, Sarah Imenu? She's Ba'ohel. And what does Rashi say in the Pasuk? Because she was at Tznua. The great um, honor of a woman is internal. She is responsible for the insides, the civilizations. She is in many ways superior to men. Not that it's a competition. It's not like, well, we're better than them. They're better than us. It's, t- it's a tag team. We work together. Therefore, if, you know, it, when feminists ask the question, it's almost like it's us versus them, where we kind of feel like, well, why, you know, if my wife does this, it's fantastic. And if I do this, it's great for her too. And we're, as you say, tag team working together. Sarah was greater than Abraham, for example, in Nevoah. Women have Bina, Yisera, they have excess, um, they have an extra amount of intuition. And, and Sarah is a great illustration of that, that she was able to intuit things. She saw, for example, the Rishus, the wickedness of Ishmael, something that Avram was not really in tune with. And, and, and Hashem says, listen to the call Sarah, listen to the voice of your wife Sarah. She knows what she's talking about. And Avram defers to her. On all matters of internal, it illustrates the point. There are a lot of things you can elaborate. I, go, I do this in my Shirim on feminism, but I'll just I'll, I'll use one point to illustrate. If you notice that, that women are the internal civilization, they are the backbone of Klal Yisrael, is illustrated by the following interesting halacha: adultery in Jewish law is defined around the woman. If the woman in the marriage is not faithful and she commits adultery with the man from the outside, they're chayavim misa, they're subject to the death penalty. The opposite is not true. If the man in the marriage is not faithful and he has a relationship with a woman on the outside and she's not married, they're, they're only over a durabanan. We mentioned this Kamara the other day. They're only over a durabanan. Um, it's not called adultery. <coughs> 
What's that? Absnus. The, pro, the, the rabbinic prohibition is called immodesty, prostitution, whatever you want to translate, snus. But it's not the same um, severe penalty. It's the Ten Commandments, Ashish. Why is Ashish defined around the woman? And a, sim- a simple way of understanding it is the woman is the bedrock of civilization. She is more stable. She is, she is, uh, she's got other hang-ups. Women are not perfect. Men are not perfect. But women, as Hashem created them, have a greater stability that's illustrated by their ability to stay in a relationship and to be monogamous um, more than men men can. So if a woman is not going to be monogamous, wow, are we in trouble. Kuala Yisrael can't survive. Hashem puts an onus, a greater burden on them. Sarah illustrates that kind of stability. She recognizes she's all about the future. That's why if we're going to cultivate a new child, we're going to bring a new child into the world and raise him for Torah and mitzvot, Yitzchak's his name, um, we can't have any evil admixtures. Ishmael has to be kicked out of the house. Look at the behavior of all the imahos. They're all very much focused on this issue of the civilization. How do we perpetuate the Jewish people? Rivki Minu had a similar pattern. She says, get rid of Esau. Yaakov is the one that sustained the legacy of monotheism, a belief in Hashem and practicing that. Look at Rachel and Leah, and to a lesser degree, Bill and Zilpah, as they also wrangle for, um, you know, who's going to be attached to Yaakov, not as a selfish thing, but rather to be connected to the legacy of Klal Yisrael. And that's, what, that's really what their motivation was, very much L'Shem Shemayim. Interestingly, a couple little details that are not well appreciated. Avram makes a covenant in his lifetime with? Hashem. Well, with Hashem. Now we talked about that yesterday, Bishavos, but he makes a covenant with another person. Avimelech. Avimelech, Gemara talks about it at length. He's a Russia, um, and Hashem is not, does not approve. He says, Hashem's response, according to the Breshis Rabbah, you're not allowed to make any accommodation with idolaters or idolatry. And, um, and according to the Medrash, Avram, he makes a pact with Avimelech. In Beersheva, they have seven, seven oaths that they make. And there's a pact. We're going to have peace between us. And Hashem disapproves and says to Avram, because you gave seven sheep, I will postpone your children's happiness for seven generations. Meaning, what happens, Maisa Avos Simon Lebroni, what happens with our forefathers, or their ancestors, our forefathers and foremothers, have a direct impact on future generations, which is a lesson to us too, because the way we live, here's a heavy thought, the way we lead our lives will also directly and indirectly affect our own children. Do you know that the thoughts that the parents are thinking during the time of intimacy actually shape the nature of the personality of the child that grows out of that uh, union? So it's a heavy thought, and we get it already, already back here, that because you made a, an oath that had to do with seven, I'm going to postpone your happiness for seven generations. And the Philistines, who come to descend, pay attention to the Philistines, they're, they're among the worst, the Wait, biggest really, enemies that the Jews have in the Torah. We're going to meet a lot of the Philistines, what are called the Plishtim, are going to kill seven Siddiquim of your descendants. Do you know who the seven Siddiquim the Philistines come to kill? No, the Philistines, the Plishtim. They okay. kill off, they kill off Eli's two, two sons, Hophni and Pinchas, that means anything? Oh, they were big time Siddiquim. Misha Omer, Shehofni and Pinchas Chatu, Eino Elatoa, the Gemara says in Shabbos, anybody who says the Chofni and Pinchas sin is mistaken. It's a misreading of the verses. It appears in the verses that they were bad guys, 
You, you need Chazali. Without Chazali, we don't know anything. So Chopdim Pinchas will perish at the hand of the police team. Who else? Famously, come on. Who brings Shimshon. I was going to give you the hint. He brings the house down. Right? But he dies with the police team. And then famously, the first king, of, the first real official king of the Jewish people, Shaul and his three sons. We're going to see some of the famous examples of Kiddush Hashem. If you don't know these... One of the things I think that makes history fun is tracing these themes through history and try to keep track of this because when we come back to it, oh yeah, remember we talked about this? Cla- what can you tell me? What are classic examples of Kiddush Hashem? I'll give you a few that I come up with. What comes to your mind? When you think of classic Kiddush Hashem, what do you think of? Han and the Seven Sons. Great illustration. It comes in three different places in Shash and she has different names in different places. One of the names is Chana. Now a couple more last comments on Avram Avinu. We know that Avram Avinu had other children. Right? He had the six Bnei Ketura. He had Yishmael. One of the Bnei Ketura is Midian, who begets a whole nation of Midian. After they come into the world, Yitzchak has already given birth to, he's already had Yaakov and Esau. Avram sends all of his other sons away. He sends them with generous gifts. Lots of consolation prizes. He's very, he's very generous with them. His statement is another Maisa Avos Simen Levonim. Um, in which he's saying these people don't merit and they can't be around the good guys. The good guy really is Yaakov. He he's represents the promise of the future. And um, here's a massive theme, and I might as well say it now for the record. I don't think I've said it yet this year, but if you find any of my former students over the last, I don't know, 20, 24 years, I've been teaching in yeshivas, um, and you say, what is the most important thing if you learn nothing else by Rabbi Blyweiss, what is the most important thing that he wants to give over to you? And the answer is, and look it up, look in the Rambam, the Chosdeos, chapter 6, I'm going to repeat myself, so you're going to get, if you don't get it this time, you're going to get it certainly in the course of the year, Rambam, the Chosdeos, chapter 6, Halacha, Aleph, and Base, he tells you that people are drawn after their environment. We are all social creatures, even if you think of yourself as the most independent, uh, not persuaded, not, not easily swayed kind of a personality. All of us are. Therefore, the Rambam says we have an obligation. It's probably the most important thing you'll do in your life. Surround yourself with tzaddikim, with tamadei chachamim, and you will become like them. If, conversely, you are around a bunch of bums, you will become more of a bum. We are going to be influenced by, by, by who we're around. Yaakov represents the future. Avram saw it as an imperative to send away the bad influences. He gets rid of Yishmael, he gets rid of the six B'nai Keturah. He sends them away generously and positively, but there's no messing around uh, with this. We see patterns in history again in the future. We'll find 14 centuries later, the great Ezra, when he returns from Bavel at the beginning of the Second Temple period, Ezra will continue the policy when the Kutim, the Samaritans, come and they say, hey, let us join. We won't be part of building the base of Mikdash. They were wicked through and through the Kutim. And Ezra said, no thanks. We're going to do this alone. We don't want to form a covenant with the bad guys. Stay away from them. 19 centuries after Avram Avinu, we find the Gemara Zvachim telling this, Rabbi Tarfon would stay away from the people who weren't Osek and Tyre. There were people who weren't busy with Torah day and night. He didn't want to have a connection with them. And his nickname for them, he calls them Bnei Keturah, referring back to Avram Avinu. We stay away. We have a, we have a, we have, this comes up in so many different ways. We say, Tov L'Tzadik, Tov L'Shcheno. It's good for a Tzadik and good to be a nation, uh, his neighbor. Oy L'Rasha, Oy L'Shcheno. Bad for the Russia and, and bad for the neighbor because you're going to be influenced by one another. Major theme that we'll, we'll have, we'll have to see. 
Says, right, very good. Korach and his followers, because of Dosan, uh, Dosan and Aviram are from Reuven, yeah. and in the situation around the camp, we see that they were neighbors, and they, they were influenced by, by one another. Um, it's why Jews don't, don't really formally have a jail system, because we, we understand, jail, you take a bunch of societies, um, undesirables, if there's such a word, people with bad habits, but individually bad habits, you pull them together, they learn one another's bad habits. Terrific. You haven't improved the world that way. What do we do with our criminals? This is based on Rav Shimshon and Hirsch. What do we do with our criminals? A guy who's a... Here's a good illustration. So, yeah, that's true. We beat them up. That's true. We can kill them sometimes. Or alternately, guy steals, can't pay back the, can't pay back the, uh, the money. He becomes an Evan Ivory, but the slave is a bad, tra- bad translation. What do we do effectively? A good family takes him in. Learn the Gemara and Kedushin. It's so powerful, so beautiful. We take him into our home. He's a slave. He's a slave, but it's a bad term for it. He's like a member of the family. If you have one pillow, you give it to him. He gets treated. It's a privilege. What he does is we take him into a good home. We teach him by modeling what it is to be a mensch, what it is to be a good person. He figures out, he looks around, he says, wow, these are great people. We then send him off after six years with a very generous gift package, a lot of money. And now he can start his life over afresh after having been hanging out with all these tzaddikim to start a good new life. That's, that's our vision for how to do it properly. Avramavinu planted Eshel Avram, the famous tree, um, the wood that will later be used to, um, as par- partly used to, in building the base of Mikdash. Eshel, of course, is an abbreviation. Every detail counts. Every letter counts. Eshel stands for Ochel Shtia Lina, food, drink, uh, and lodging. So that, cause that's Avram Avinu uh, in, in a nutshell. He was all about taking care of people's physical needs so that they could see to their spiritual needs as well. The seeds that he plants yields great fruits many years down the line. At the end of his life, he invests everything. He's solely focused on educating Yaakov. Let's nurture the tzaddik. He died when Yaakov was 15 years old and, and Yaakov really carried on the legacy. He didn't focus on the others because not that he gave up on them. We don't give up on people. We love people. And there are other midrashim talking about. Um, there's another medrash. I have a whole file on Yishmael. Yishmael uh, is a very interesting figure. And Avram goes in and visits him at a later point in his life. He's not pleased because Yishmael's not home. And his wife was at the tent. And Avram says, do you have any water? He didn't identify himself. Do you have anything for me to drink? And she said, we don't have anything for you. And so he says, well, if the master of the house returns, could you tell him that somebody visited and said that he needs to change the door of his house? He spoke in code. Who's the door of his house? The wife. He comes back a half a year later. There's a new wife standing there. Ishmael got the message. He was, very, he was brilliant in himself. And, um, and he says, could I have some water? And she says, well, of course. And she says, you know, she, she of course, if, if, uh, serves him a lavish feast as part of Achnasus Orchim that Yishmael had learned from Avram Avinu's house, meaning Avram is still busy and concerned with educating people for good midos, for chesed, for good things. He's just not, fo- he's not focused on it. He'll focus on, Yika- Yitz- on Yaakov because he recognizes Yaakov represents the future. That's the approach we see today. Uh, you can invest, you can invest um, a mile wide, but unless you invest a mile deep, in trying to come up with some substantive goodness. That's really what Talmud's about. It's not enough just to do the superficial. You gotta, you gotta go deep. That's, that's, that's the last thing I'm gonna say about Avram for the time being, quick. Yitzchak lived so the longest life. life of the three Avos, 130 years. He's the most mysterious. We have less to say. Um, he's also, let's say, the most of the three of these stellar individuals, including Yitzchak, one of the greatest figures of the world, the most criticized, for reasons I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna convey. He is, on the one hand, positively conveyed as Kiseh Ole. He is the pure, 
Ola Tzmima, the, the offering to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, literally in Mesiris Nefesh, he knew full well that he was indebted as that offering a Nekeda, and look at Rashi there, he says they walked in step without missing a beat, he says, you know, Hashem Avram said, he says, where's the, where's the offering, Dad? And Avram says Hashem will show us the offering, and Yitzchak knows exactly what that means, and they don't miss a beat he continues going, because Hashem said Yitzchak is there, he is not permitted to leave Eretz Yisrael he takes only one wife, there are a lot of features of Yitzchak's life that are unique because of this he is a pure he's a pure holy soul he is considered interestingly to be the epitome of Mida Sedin he does everything because it's right he is also the sign of ultimate Gvura which is strength and courage and heroism because it takes a lot of Gvura to just do the right thing literally at the at the risk of self-sacrifice of mysterious nefesh. This is one of my favorite images, and it's something that we're going to see as a pattern in history too. He goes off to the area. Some people say it's the area of, the, of Gaza today. Grar, it's called, and he goes down to the Eretz Plishtim, where the Plishtim are are uh, that's, that's they're dominant there. And he he's very wealthy, like his father, and he digs wells because you have to have water. And the Plishtim come and start up with him, and what do they do? They fill in his wells. Pay attention. One of the most important episodes, it's not always appreciated, it's in the middle of Parshish Toldos. What is Yitzchak's reaction when they fill in his well? He has no response. He simply, elegantly folds up camp and moves away and digs new wells. And what do the police team do? They follow him. And they go and they dig in these other wells. And so what does he do? No reaction. He simply packs up shop, moves, and digs new ones. And eventually, eventually, the police team come to the conclusion, this guy is the strongest human being in the world. There is nothing we can do to impact him, and they leave him alone. That's our image of Gvura. A, 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 a Gibor could be a pencil neck geek, as far as the Jews are concerned, but he is unmoving. Do you know who the strongest man of the 20th century was? He was physically the frail... Who am I describing? He was physically the frailest person in the world. You've seen pictures of him, maybe. You had an image, of, I mean, you had a picture of him, he could have blown away with the wind. He never had children because he was, he was so physically frail. What is it? No, he's Jewish. Uh, he was a tzaddik olam, uh, 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 and, and he was the strongest person. I'm going to tell you some hair raising stories, but I'm not going to tell you right now. Uh, 20th century, you know what I'm thinking of? I don't know the Chazon Ish. Chazon Ish. Utterly inspiring figure. And again, this, it, it's because of it's an inner strength. It's a recognition that great we're, we win when we survive. There is nothing they can do to us if we're strong in our amuna, And that's what Yitzchak embodies. And indeed, they give up on us. They'll turn on Yitzchak. It's kind of like, um, you know, Arab Israelis enjoy, I think of this me metaphor, Arab Israelis probably enjoy, the, I'm changing subjects, I'm done, I'm done with the, the, the wells, I'm talking about another phenomenon, just like they turn on Yitzchak, um, the Arab Israelis enjoy probably the best standard of living of all Arabs in the Middle East, on average, they're given, they're given rights, it's a democracy, they get representation in the Knesset, of course they elect people in the Knesset who then try to subvert the Knesset from the inside and give secrets to the uh, enemy during wartime and all the rest of that. You know about Azmi Bashara, we'll talk about that later. And simultaneously, even though they enjoy all these benefits, hope for the destruction of the state of Israel and want the creation of Palestine in Tel Aviv. Right? The same Arab, the same, the same, the same Arab Israelis. Um, they have children who, who sometimes have polio and they, re, they resist taking a vaccination because it came from the Jew Jonas Salk. And they don't want anything to do with Jews. Sometimes. Not, you don't hear about that so much today, but there is, there is, such, a, there is such a quality. 
Yitzchak is low profile, he's quiet. We don't even hear his voice so much in the text. In the family dynamic, it seems that Rivka is the powerhouse, quite the contrary. Uh, he's unique in that way. And again, we win by surviving. Uh, we'll see that pattern. It's against the grain of, of human nature. We don't have to be a bunch of Rambos. In the Medrash, we know that Yitzchak and Rivka have these two sons, Esav first and then Yaakov. And for the first 13 years of their lives, I'm going to get to y- Yaakov and Esav, but just I want to comment on the parenting of Yitzchak and Rivka. The first 13 years of their lives, Chazal criticized the parents by give, uh, because they gave them equal education. They gave them the same chinuch. But the pasuk in Mishlei and the idea that they should have known is chinuch l'nar pidarko. You got to educate each child individually. And you have to know this one needs a certain approach that may not be exactly the same as that one. And if you give them uh, carbon cookie cutter education, it may not be appropriate. And Esav needed a different touch. And, and that, that mistake was, um, was uh, Chazal credit the parents with, with the children or the child's misbehavior. In the end, we know that Esav, Yaakov would go to the base Medrash, Esav would go to the house of Avodah Zarah. The Pasuk tells by Yitzchak, Vatechena enav meros, his eyes became dim from seeing. He literally was blinded by his, by his excessive love for Esav. Here they're saying that he was blinded to the, the negative, the evil in his own son. And as Zohar comments on the verse and says, Misha Ohev Lerishaim Kach Sofo. Somebody who blindly loves the wicked, he ends up like this. He ends up blind literally. We have to be careful who we place our affection with. Sometimes people, uh, you know, arouse our sympathy, and you got to be careful about having compassion on the on, on the uh, on the wicked. Who, had, who who most famously in all of history has compassion on the on the wicked, and it literally subverts the Jewish people. We mentioned him earlier today. No. We mentioned him in the similar in the similar context of Shimshon. He was the first king of the Jews, and who did he have compassion for? Amalek. He kept the king alive, and what came out of that as a result of it? Haman. We almost lost the Jewish people because of that misplaced compassion. We have to be compassionate. We're Rachmanim bnei Rachmanim, but sometimes the response to evil is Uviarta Haramikirbecha. You got to burn the evil out. And, and with Esav, Yitzchak didn't recognize his evil and he became blinded. Chazal say, Ava Mikalkelis as Ashura. Sometimes too much love distorts you, even from one's children. And that was his mistake. Who's Esav? Think about Esav for a little bit. What does he represent? He represents non Jewish Jews. You know, Esav looked and sounded and seemed very from. He dressed the part. He wore a shrimel and a bekisha. I guess if you think of a shrimel, a bekisha is very, very from. Some people do, some people don't. But, you know, he had the image. He was a charmer. He could speak. He could do Gemara Rashi Tosfos before Rashi Tosfos were even born. Uh, he had it all down. We have people like that. You know, we have a lot of non-Jewish Jews. Some of the greatest anti-Semites, some of the greatest villains in history originally were Jews. I'm thinking, I'll throw, I'll throw out some names. Some may be familiar, some not. Do you know who Pablo Christiani was, Friar Paul? Famous debates with the Ramban, was originally Jewish. Yoshka, famous Russian, all of his disciples were big Rishayim. In the, in the more modern time, um, moving on, Nicholas Donin, who um, orchestrated the Paris book burning in 1241 or 42. Uh, Nicholas Donin was responsible for that. Spinoza, Heinrich Hein, Karl Marx, Trotsky, right? Now we have a, see, we have, we have this catch-22. We have this difficult balancing act on the one hand, we love everybody. means we have to love every Jew. And if I dislike a Jew, it's like disliking part of my body. We're all connected together. 
On the other hand, sometimes, even if you love them, you have to know when to say no and to cut off from them. That's part of this idea of separating yourself, and it's something Yitzhak had difficulty with. Who knew to do this correctly? Rivki Imenu. It's part of her greatness. Rivki Imenu, having grown up in a household, she, by the way, is one of the great mysteries of the world. How did she get to be Rivka? If, according to the one shot that she was three, when, when, uh, when uh, the Ebed Avram, sometimes called Eliezer, uh, gets her at the well, finds her at the well, she not only is this immense Sedekis who I think carries, we think we calculated it once, um, some like 500 tons of water to feed Eliezer and all of his thirsty donk, uh, uh, camels, um, but she somehow knows to be righteous in a vacuum. She grows up, you know, her brother's love on. She grows up in Basul's house. They're wicked of Odi and she knows the right thing to do. She now, and there are explanations for her greatness, she heard stories, this is what Miller suggests this, she hears stories about her great, um, her great uh, relative Abraham, and it inspires her. And she says, that's what I want to be like. And like Avram, she comes to goodness on her own. And she, having grown up in a household of wickedness, sees in her own sons the seeds of wickedness. And she's the one who orchestrates behind the scenes the fact that Yaakov is going to carry the legacy. And that Esau is out. And that's Rivka's doing it. And now it's Adam's clothing, you said? And she takes, right, she takes the garment that Esau hunted and took the garment, puts clothes Yaakov with it. And uh, we know the rest. By the way, had they approached Esav differently, Chazal tell us, he would have been the epitome of Torah, the Gdula, the Makom Echad. That's the Gmarangitin. He would have been Torah and greatness all in one, but he missed out. He missed the boat. He represents through all of history, and he is the major theme in history. He represents through all of history evil and this worldliness. He doesn't even get the world to come. He doesn't understand it. Doesn't doesn't fathom what it's about. He's all immersed in this world. Asa will be embodied by the Roman civilization and later the Christian world. And the great central struggle in history to a large degree is, is, is embodied in these twins. Asa's Sona is Yaakov. Asa despises Yaakov. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Bezras Hashem. Yitzchak is faulted so much so that we find, I don't know if you noticed this, a couple days ago I mentioned the list of people, the seven escorts, and it was, it was Avram and Yaakov, but Yitzchak's ex- excluded. Elsewhere Yitzchak's excluded, there's a famous pasuk in Yeshaya that he's not included in, and the Gemara explains where is Yitzchak when so many of these great names, sometimes he's included, he's one of our Ushbizin and Sukkah, right? But sometimes he's excluded, and so the Gemara explains he's away saving his children from the fires of Gehenna. Because on some level he's responsible for Esau and his, and, and his wicked pro, um, offspring, including Amalek, uh, and all the wicked that they do. In the end of days, you, you alluded to this, I'm really fast-forwarding because we're going to talk about Yaakov tomorrow, but at the end of uh, Yaakov and Esav indeed die the same day, as Rivka, Rivka um, foresees that. She has a, she has a Ruach HaKodesh to, to predict that. And the day they come to bury Yaakov, where? Marzmach. Palin, Hebron. All of the sons come, this is the Gemara so all the sons come back. All the sons come, come up to bury their father, and the entire world is there because Yaakov is such a great Sadi. And Esav is standing at the entrance and saying, I'm not, letting, I'm not letting them in. There are exactly eight spaces for burial inside that cave. Adam and Chava, Avram and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, and, um, and Leah's already there. The last one belongs to me. Anyway, Leah was supposed to have been my wife, and I'm going to properly reclaim my place there. He got everything in my life, and he got the Bechorah, he got the Bracha, and I'm taking the Kever. 
and there was a discussion in the Tumul, and Hushim ben Dan is hard of hearing, you know the story, right? He doesn't know, and he steps forward and knocks his uncle's head off, and Asaph's head, as it were, rolls down into Avram Avinu's lap. I'm, in, I'm embellishing for a literary, I can take a literary license every now and then. Um, and the example, the, the explanation that you heard too, and I love this, a lot of explanations of that is that why did Asaph head, why does Asaph head for all of eternity go into the Maras Machpelah, his body, Meanwhile, will be buried off in Harseir, where his descendants, what is, in, in, his descendants inherit. And I'm pointing over here, literally, because that's where Harseir is, southeast of Yerushalayim. The explanation that makes so much sense is that his head knew everything, grew up in Yitzchak and Rivka's home, in, uh, in, internalized all the greatness of Tyrek. It was his body that undermines him. And his body, his type, is his great lust of this for this world. That didn't belong to the Mars Machpelah, but the head that knew the Torah did belong there. That was Esau's legacy, and we'll see that in contrast with Yaakov Avinu tomorrow. Forgive me for going a little late today. And Yashikoyach.